Great to welcome Christine Karsten to Local News Live, anchor and reporter for WNDU, which covers the South Bend and Michiana part of Indiana. Christine, you put together a great three-part series on addiction in your community and how that's impacting young people. What was the motivation behind this series? Well, it sparked because this little girl had gone missing um, back in August. And through the investigation, we learned that drugs may have played a role in it. Um, and we've been seeing an uptick in some drugs in Michigan. And so it started this longer conversation of how drug use isn't just affecting those individuals who choose to use, um, but the family members and ultimately these kids. So it kind of broke into several pieces, not only of Mercedes Lane, the little girl that had gone missing and then ultimately was found dead, um, but also different experiences of those who've used and then ultimately ended with an individual who lost his dad to an overdose. So um, that's really what started it. And it's just really scary to see um, drug use becoming an epidemic in Michiana, especially. I know it's a worldwide and nationwide thing, um, but heroin, fentanyl, and meth were the three main contributors that we're seeing in Michiana right now. What is the impact of the drug crisis on young people where you're at? It's so wide and so individualized, and that's what I've learned, but it starts with maybe the older children who are seeing their families struggle with this, and sometimes it's, am I going to go see mom today? No, I can't. She's using again. Can I go see her? And so it's this push and pull of wanting to see these loved ones. Um, I've seen some kids who don't even know their parents because they've been removed from them. Um, in the case of Mercedes Lane, she was living in an environment where meth was being used. So she was having withdrawals. Um, another child was born with health issues because she was born addicted to meth. Um, but ultimately we're seeing kids not having food, being dirty, being smelly, not being taken care of. And that ultimately just creates a cycle. And what I have learned through this is that parents sometimes are able to beat the system, if you will. So they'll know how to um, test negative. They'll know how to kind of hide things up. So these kids, even if services are being called in, get overlooked. And so the cycle just continues. So it's, it's just a bunch of different things that these kids are being exposed to. And then I've also seen that kids are being introduced to drugs through their parents who are using. Um, they're also used as currency, which is really, really sad. Um, if they need to pay off debts, parents will hand over kids in order to do that. It just is really, really sad. Now, have drug patterns changed over the past 10, 15 years? Fentanyl is a huge issue here. Um, it's something that they haven't seen, and it's something that's extremely deadly. You have these individuals who are making these substances or cutting them, if you will, at home, and they're not scientists. They're not experts. They're not doctors. So they're putting fentanyl in it. So you don't know what you're going to get. You think you're getting one thing, and you could be getting too much fentanyl. There are times where people will go for prescription drug drugs, and they're not those drugs at all. In fact, they're fentanyl. So they're seeing these overdoses occur. And what I learned through this process is it almost gives these dealers street cred. So if you overdose, if you die because of, of this substance, more people want it. And I thought that was so mind boggling. Um, but we're also seeing meth is coming from down south, at least here in Michiana. 
um, what we used to see are these meth busts and these explosions. Um, with laws that are put in place, it's harder to get the chemicals in order to make meth, and it's very expensive. So instead of doing that, they just buy and bring it over the border. And so where South Bend is, where Michigan is, we're in the perfect spot between Indianapolis, Chicago, and um, Detroit. So it's just this thoroughfare through, and individuals are using spots in South Bend or in Michigan to kind of be their hub, and then sending these drugs into these different cities. Is Michigan specifically impacted because it's an area where a lot of drugs are transported, not necessarily to your community, but to big spots like Chicago or Indianapolis? We talk about like the 80-90 corridor. Indiana State Police especially are constantly on high alert for that because it's very easy to traffic those drugs through. Um, and they can keep them out of these big cities, right? So they have more places to hide in these farming communities in different areas. But yes, South Bend, I've learned that even in Michigan, South Bend is still this hub that people drive over an hour to come get their drugs and bring them back to where they live. So it just seems to be convenience at this point. Um, officers locally are very aware of it. And they they talk about it as a snake that has multiple heads and they keep trying to cut off these heads and it helps for a while. And then they just continue to emerge. So they're aware of it, they're on it, um, but it takes a lot of time. What's a long-term impact to a community when kids are impacted by drug use, even if they're not the ones who are abusing them? You know, I had the opportunity to speak to a mom who was a user for a long time. In fact, she's just been clean for less than two years. And um, she said that her two kids have had two different effects. One um, isn't trusting of anybody, is very skeptical of everything, doesn't want to be around any drugs, like doesn't trust men because she witnessed her mom going through abusive relationships when it came to the drug dealing world and all that. Um, her other child started using and she talks about how she was really upset because she was so high that she didn't realize her kid was even using. So they went both paths. He ended up getting addicted to drugs. I believe meth was also his choice. She said he dabbled in a couple things. He ended up moving away to Florida to get the help that he needed. And now he's clean, which is great. But um, I think that's one of the biggest things is either you know, they're pushed away from it and they don't want any involvement or sometimes they get addicted and then this becomes their cycle as well. So. So your reporting, as we talked about, is in three parts. The first one focuses on a young girl named Mercedes and her tragic story in your community. Can you tell us a little bit about that before we show it? His parents handed her over to what they referred to as a friend to watch her for a little bit. And what happened was Mercedes wasn't returned home. So they called police and the search was on to find Mercedes. Well, ultimately this individual that they left her with were able to lead him to her body. And um, through talking to Tiffany, the mother of Mercedes, her grandmother, I learned that Tiffany has had this big struggle with meth and it kind of started several years ago. Um, and ultimately it played a big role in the decisions that she made that ultimately led to Mercedes's death. Here in Hamlet, where Tiffany Coburn was born and raised. She was really good in school. She went to Oregon Davis and seemed to really like it. As a child, she was energetic, um, fun-loving. She never wanted to do anything but read and write. Tiffany's mom, Angela Owen, says as a kid, she couldn't even get her to take Tylenol. But six or seven years ago, that all changed. She went from that to 
getting with some people that she shouldn't have been with, and things turned wrong. Angela says methamphetamine is Tiffany's drug of choice, and you could always tell when she was using. She distanced herself when she's using. She doesn't call that much. She doesn't check in. She's a total different person when she's using. How easy is it to buy meth? Ah, uh, fairly easy. Sergeant Graber supervises the drug unit at the South Bend Police Department and works closely with surrounding agencies on drug investigations. Excluding marijuana, he says we're seeing three main drugs in Michiana, fentanyl, heroin, and a whole lot of meth. We get a lot of, uh, lot of through traffic because of the, uh, the interstate that goes through us. We're kind of halfway between uh, Detroit, um, Chicago, and Indianapolis. It's not uncommon for us to see uh, plates from Warsaw or as far as Kokomo come here to get drugs. But where is it all coming from? Sergeant Graber says they're seeing a lot of meth coming from across the border, down south. It's being brought up here to South Bend. A lot of it's changed because of laws that they've changed as far as making it more difficult for the people to get the drugs, get the uh, Sudafed to be able to make the uh, product. So you can't just go buy 10 boxes of Sudafed. Tiffany's family describes her struggle with sobriety as a roller coaster ride, affecting everyone, including her four kids. She's been through a lot of the substance abuse with Tiffany. The oldest is 11 years old the ups and downs of her going to tell her she's going to get clean and then not get clean. Then there's her three-year-old, who Angela says was born addicted to meth. She struggled with health and development issues. Probably about two years old, she had this thing called shutter syndrome from the meth abuse. And it was like, a, I would describe it as a seizure, because she just shook real hard. And like, she would zone out, and then she would come back. Angela says her two-year-old doesn't even know her mom, but 11-month-old Mercedes lived with her here at the Economy Inn in Plymouth, a small space described by her family as an extreme hoarder situation. And while they say Mercedes was always fed, read to, and allowed to watch her favorite show, Trolls, they say she was always dirty, smelly, and seemed to cry a lot leading them to believe she was having withdrawals from meth exposure. Tiffany was so messed up when she's come missing that Tiffany didn't even tell me that they had called to make a missing child report on her. Because she was so high, she was afraid to call me. Ultimately, this way of life would lead to the death of this beautiful little girl. To have the FBI roll up in your yard and tell you that they found your granddaughter deceased is heartbreaking. Today, Angela wants justice for Mercedes, and she wants more people to understand the effects of substance abuse, more specifically, meth. She wants more resources in our community and wants more people to know about the resources we already have. But what she wants most of all? Her daughter, Tiffany, to finally be clean. I guess I do blame her. But I love her. And she knows, you know, she knows how I feel. I've told her, this is, if this isn't rock bottom for you, this is rock bottom for us. This is rock bottom for us. This is as bad as it can get. And if you can't see that, then I'm sorry. But I have three other children that we have to worry about.
The second one was really the focus, not only this big question kept circulating, how can parents choose drugs over their kids? And I was really infatuated with this question because is it a choice? You know, and we all say, why are you choosing drugs over your kids? And, and it kind of simplifies this whole process. So I wanted to learn more. Is it that simple? Is it saying, I want to get high, I don't care. And in part two, what I really learned is it's not that simple. Um, what starts off is this choice, thinking it's going to be fun, turns into this really deep, dark hole that you can't get out of. The individuals I talked to was a mom but then I also talked to a former drug dealer and I wanted to really understand what gets you into the cooking side of things, but then what also gets you into um, the neglect abuse kind of side of things. And really the stories were so similar. It was scary. It was ultimately, it took one time and I was addicted. Um, and then once I started, I lost everything and I couldn't get out. And so what I really learned from that question was, what starts as a choice quickly turns into a nightmare. It's no longer a choice. And what I realized is these parents are seen, they're aware that they're neglecting their kids. They're aware that they're not present, but they can't find a way out. And so it was really kind of emotional and sad to see that because both wanted to die. Both thought that was their way out. Um, and now that they're sober, they look back at that and realize, wow, how scary is that? Both went to jail and both utilized the programs within jail to get clean. So they're so thankful of that. Um, but yeah, to see that these kids are witnessing this, um, Molly, one of the women was saying that her kids will tell her stories and she's just sitting there like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't remember that happening. Um, so as I mentioned back to those kids, one started using one just doesn't want to be around anything with drugs and is really hesitant for all these things. So it really took a, took a roll on and toll on both of them. Drugs, they spark curiosity. There are so many different kinds. They come in all shapes and sizes and have different effects on your body. I felt like superwoman. I could stay up for days. I could do anything. Like I was able to manage a house, a relationship, a job. I was still going to school. Like it gives you the illusion that you're perfect. Anissa Berkey only had to try meth once and she was hooked. In fact, she liked it so much she started making it and selling it. Why would I go spend my money when I could make it and earn money? The demand was so crazy. You realize that addiction does not discriminate. Like I have supplied doctors, lawyers, parents, teachers. When Molly Rowe was introduced to a form of meth called crank, she had lost the most important person in her life, her grandmother, and was looking for something to numb the pain. No thought in my mind that this probably isn't a good idea. <laughs> you know, so we smoked it off a of foil. We did it, I was awake for two weeks, um, and then from then on, that was it. Hooked after just one time. And then within two weeks, I was doing it every day. But what could go wrong? Turns out, just about everything. Within eight months, I had no money, no apartment. My son was living with my mom. I was fully addicted to drugs. I tried, wanted to kill myself because I didn't want to be in that life anymore. That's when Molly got clean. Within 30 days, she got pregnant with her daughter and was clean until she was about two months old. 
I fell right back into meth. And this time, it came on stronger than it did the first time. There's been times where we've supplied people with stuff for free just to keep them going. Here, take this, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just keep coming back. Because as long as you're coming back, I'm safe. Molly says her addiction was so strong, she started stealing from her family. It's not right by any means, but I didn't know another way because I needed that. My body and my mind needed that drug so bad that I didn't know how not to go without it. What started as a choice quickly turned into a nightmare. Addiction lies to you in your own voice. So the thoughts that are in your head and they're saying, you can't live without me. You can't survive without this. You can't, you're nothing without drugs. There were so many times where I would be sitting on the bathroom floor with drugs in my hand crying, like I don't want to do this anymore, but I have to. I was literally going through life light in a fog. Like I didn't have any feelings. I couldn't get happy. I couldn't get sad. I couldn't get nothing. It had made me so numb that I could literally just walk through life and not care about a thing. Molly was so miserable that if dying meant she could finally get out, she was okay with that. It breaks my heart. Um, because how selfish is that? I have kids. I have a family. Sorry. It's not that I didn't love my kids or my family. It's by no means that I didn't think that they were worth it because if anything, I thought they were better off without me because I couldn't be healthy, because I couldn't say no to the drugs and yes to them. Anissa felt the same way. I remember just feeling so trapped, like this is life now. Like, I don't know how to get out. Is there a way out? Um, jail or death? were my only options in my mind back then. Turns out, jail and the rehab programs offered inside is what got both of them clean. And today, sobriety remains their number one priority. Anissa has been clean for 12 years. Molly has been clean for three and a half. But with recovery, brings a whole lot of clarity. So was I really functioning as someone that was supportive and someone that was there? No, I was physically there. And that's great, I guess, they, they could see me, but I wasn't mentally there at all. And guilt. Do you sit here and think, I made the substance that is responsible for not providing that child the care that they need? Yeah. Yeah. Your third piece is a positive one where it focuses on solutions in your community. And one group has a unique but seems like a productive way to try to stem this problem. This scholarship is for kids who have actually lost a parent to overdose and they're for seniors in high school. And so um, what we talked about with Alicia Wells, who is a recovering addict herself and now works for Recover Michiana, they created this scholarship to try to break this cycle. Um, we've been doing all these things about education and law enforcement, finding these individuals responsible and, and trying to get people the help they need by bringing them to facilities. But she said, now's the time to think outside the box and to try to find new ways to break this cycle. And that's one of them. So the goal is to physically remove them from their environment with this higher education so they can be around different surroundings, they can see what's available to them and hopefully not continue this cycle that we're seeing. So um, it was really inspiring and, and Gabe was the individual who just recently lost his dad and he talked about um, being younger, not realizing his dad was using. And so 
when his dad overdosed, it was kind of like he's starting to put pieces together. He's 14 year old. Um, and a few months after his dad died, he was um, in the middle of a project at school and his teacher said, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, because his project was about overdoses and the effects of drugs and what that means. And, and he said, nope, I'm going to do it. I'm going to push forward. I want to educate. I want to use my story to help my classmates never even touch it. And so these were just two examples of different things that our community is doing to try to start thinking outside the box and add on to the services that they already have. He was going to do was one last time and he went up and sat on this tree and it had fentanyl in it and it was uh, way more than he thought. And he overdosed. 14-year-old Gabriel Sikowski says his dad, Brandon, had been in and out of prison his whole life. But it was four years ago when he finally realized he was struggling with something. I didn't really understand much at the time. I just knew, oh no, that's bad. And how long is he going to be gone for? Turns out Brandon was struggling with sobriety, that tug of war between using and getting clean. It was that struggle that brought him here. I don't know. I can't say maybe just um, like the withdrawal because he was still going through that. And maybe just like that one last time before I stop. Brandon was supposed to check into rehab three hours later. This time, it was supposed to work. He never made it. Our overdose numbers are increasing at rapid rates. Alicia Wells knows the dangers firsthand. Her sobriety is a motivation to help others with addiction treatment and recovery. She calls the drug use in Michiana an epidemic. We're very much in an epidemic and we're getting ready to enter a, a larger epidemic with the fentanyl that we're seeing. Substance abuse doesn't discriminate. Many people of all walks of life are using substances to cope with mental health issues, mental health crises, um, just daily life, but we are seeing the drugs being used from as young as fifth grade all the way up uh, into geriatric years. She says now is a time to speak out as a community, saying enough is enough. This is not a case of being a snitch. If you see something, say something. These are our children. Uh, these, they need to be protected. And when there was no joke when they say it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to save children too. And we need to be more responsible and we need to be transparent in the things that we're seeing and not afraid of what other people are gonna think. Cause it's not about that. It's about saving lives and Recover Michiana is now offering something that no one in our area has offered before. Scholarships to kids like Gabe who've lost parents to an overdose, giving them the opportunity to go to college or a trade school. The goal, to help break this cycle. It's something new, it's innovative, it's different. It's a different approach. In our community, that's what we are all about. People have been talking the talk and, and wanting to do things for a long time and it's taking new innovative approaches to creating and combating the substance abuse disorder and this epidemic that we have. And less than two months after the death of his father, Gabe is doing his part to speak out and educate others. Just a couple weeks ago, he told his story at a fundraiser for a local treatment center. A couple days after that, 
He stood in front of his peers to talk about drugs and overdoses. Even my teacher said, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. I know that's uh, hard to say so soon, but, you know, I would rather give all of, you know, the students the information that I want to give them. They might not have the same fate my dad did, um, that none of them even try it. What we're dealing with is not going to go away without action. We all have to work together for this. This can't be something that you think doesn't affect you. It may not affect you yet. It's affecting our neighbors, our friends, our church members, our coworkers, and it's all of our responsibility to stay educated on what's happening and not be afraid of what we're hearing, but rise up to do something different and not be afraid to know what resources to give. It may not be you, but it may be somebody you love someday. And the real exciting news is it sounds like your reporting encouraged people to seek help. I get so emotional about it because you do these stories, you work so hard and you put like all your time into them. And then um, to hear directly from Alicia that her phone rang and people after people kept calling her for help and she works to coordinate facilities and find beds for these individuals. And I knew that I wanted to include her number because I knew she'd be the one as a recovering addict herself to say, I'm going to find you the spot. I'm going to find you the bed. We're going to get you the help. And so we're up to at least 14 individuals who called her and were put into rehab because of these stories, which was just uh, so inspiring. I couldn't even wrap my head around how amazing that is. So as a journalist, we do these stories to, to make a positive impact. We want to encourage people to get help, to inform the community of things that are happening they may not know about so they can help. It's rare that we have even one person come up and say, I was changed. I went and sought help because of your story. You had 14 people. Uh, that had to feel just amazing. That's it. And that's exactly what happened. Like she called me after the stories aired and she got, is like, my phone's been ringing off the hook and it started with three and then six and then nine and then 14. And, and she's on the phone with me and she's like, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired, but this is so amazing. And we just both were talking to each other in such amazement, but so excited that sparking the conversation. And as someone who's walking in recovery herself, she said the way we spoke about it, right. With this bravery of telling your story. So many times you talk, about addiction and it's just really negative even those people who speak out and she was just really happy with the way that you know we almost talked about it in a way of how great of you to speak out and tell your story and inspire others and to use words like courage and and everything like that so hopefully those things um, inspired others to get the help they needed and and this is far from over we're going to continue working with each other to see how else we can do this I think the next topic we were discussing is what does that look like when you call because I think that in itself is scary to even call not knowing what's next so um uh, so inspiring for me it makes me want to keep going too so I'm just really happy of all those who are willing to speak because to tell people that you use drugs that you used to sell drugs that your kids were neglected because of it that's brave and I don't know that I could do that but they were willing to do it so WNDU's Christine Karsten thank you for sharing your reporting here on local news live